Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of The Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited to have Lisa Baranoff with us today. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Walkie Paws. Thanks for coming on the show, Lisa. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me in Stir Fry. I don't know yeah, how long she's... Stay. I ran have him for as long as <laughs> We've got her golden doodle Stir Fry with us as well. So if there's some barking, people will understand. Uh, Lisa, why don't you start just by telling us how did you start Walkie Paws? What was kind of the impetus of wanting to go down and uh, down this entrepreneurial path? Have you been an entrepreneur for, before all that stuff? Yeah, it's a long story. I, for many years, was in corporate America between Revlon and... Uh-huh. You want to go down, Stu? Okay, here you go. Um, I worked for Revlon for um, a year or so and then for Mattel for about 10 years and for Sarah Lee Hosiery back in South Africa for about, um, also about seven years. So I've been corporate with doing marketing and, you know, everything that marketing involves. And then I was late with having children. I landed up starting to have my kids at the age of 40. And I left Mattel when I had my daughter. And I was a mom for a while. And then I realized that just was not for me. I loved being a mom, but it was, you know, just a lot of going to the gym and lunching. It just, I, I needed some stimulate something. And an idea came to me, it was in 2015, in the winter in New York, it was snowing. And my dog at the time, I had a, a cock spaniel, his name was Toffee. And he got really sick. And the vet said it was from ingesting the snowmelt chemicals from like licking his paws after a walk. Oh, yeah. We just, you know, when it snows or after the snow, just put boots on him. And I was like, what? Boots? Dogs? Boots? I had no idea. I didn't know. I didn't know about boots and dogs. I ordered boots, um, one pair, two pairs, maybe like 10 pairs through Amazon and pet stores and whatever. And they all had the same three problems. They were very, very hard to get four individual boots on the dog. And then when you do get, they've got to be tight around the ankle to stay on. You know, if you think about it, it's like a shoe. So it's got to stay on. And then invariably what would happen is we go for a walk in the snow, we come back and I'd be missing a boot and we'd have to buy a whole nother lot of boots. So because I had experience in marketing and I had, um, you know, worked for a company that did hosiery, had this crazy idea one day and I came back and I put Toffee in a pair of pantyhose. I kind of tied the front on his front paws over his back and the back ones on his back paws were tied in a big knot on his back. And I had this idea to create a legging that would be attached to a booty so they'd stay up and they'd all be connected together so it would be a system. So I could show you, I have a little doggy model here since my other dog disappeared. So that's basically the idea. It's like a a, a dog boot down there and then it attaches, you know, above the above the back. So um, I, did, I sort of ran with that, developed that. There was also at the time like a really big trend towards humanization, which there still is, where, you know, p- people are doing it's what they want to do for themselves and towards, um, you know, looking, looking to pets as their babies. So the whole idea of like dogs being able to wear leggings, like you wear your, you know, your exercise Lululemon leggings, your dog can wear their leggings too. There was like a fashion component to it. And then there was the whole problem solving functional component. And I have to say it was, um, I guess I was very lucky. I launched in 2018 in November and it just took off was on Amazon. I think the press got hold of it and they had a field day, you can imagine, with leggings for dogs. You know, like, what are people doing now? Like, it was just kind of crazy. Great item. It was, it was snowing a lot that year, so there was a lot of need for something like this. So um, I kind of got lucky with that. And um, 
learned about patenting the product and, you know, creating a whole new category sort of in the pet apparel industry because there were dog boots, dog shoes, maybe dog socks, but no one had done a dog legging. So that was like, you know, really, really fun. That's amazing. What a great story. It's often just amazing to me. Almost every entrepreneur I meet, it's always some problem that they saw and they said, I think I could solve that. That's something I can handle. That's amazing. What are some of the lessons you've taken, positive lessons as well, from being in the corporate world? I mean, you were working on some of the biggest brands in history, uh, Mattel, Revlon. What were some of the things that kind of crossed over and what were some of the things that did not cross over? Yeah, very interesting. Um, well, the thing that doesn't cross over is when you're running your own business, especially when you're like a one-woman show, you're doing everything. So I, you know, then in my own business was doing all the things I'm not good at, you know, as well as the things I'm good at. When I was in the world, I was doing marketing and that I'm good at. I'm creative. I've got good ideas for packaging, new product development, you know, anything to do with product and marketing. But I never had to deal with the finance and the accounting and the operations and the bringing the stock in from, you know, China or wherever it was. Someone else dealt with that. So it's kind of a totally different way of working you kind of are doing it all which is fun and not so fun in a way it's fun because you have insight into the entire business so you kind of know the way it all runs which is fun instead of just having one piece of it and the way it's not so fun is there's a lot of this the stuff I'm doing I don't really love and I'm not so good at so I try and outsource that um and that's probably one of the trickiest things with doing it on my own is trying to find the people to to sort of help me because I'm not a huge company, I'm a, sort of like growing fast, but a fairly small company. So you don't have those huge resources to have a whole, you know, back room set up for, you know. So it's kind of a lot of trial and error in trying things and they work or they don't work. And just really finding the right team to build around the business is, I think, really, really important. Yeah, going into that, I, I think that's one of the really challenging aspects of being an entrepreneur. What have you learned about hiring a team? What are some of the things that have worked, not worked? I think that's something, especially when you go from kind of those early days where you are doing everything and then you start saying, I can't wear every hat. Yeah. What are some of the things you've learned and put into practice? I guess I've actually learned a lot about myself. I've learned that I'm not so good at letting go. Unfortunately, I, I kind of am a type A person and it's my baby. So I sort of want to be involved in everything. So bringing people on, it's been a little tricky because it's like scary for me to say, you know, this is it, go off and, and run with, but I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do that. And I've learned that um, a big thing for me that did not work and has not worked and is a source of pain is working with ad agencies. I think that is a disaster, absolute disaster. I think now with AI coming into the mix, there's going to be even less of a need for ad agencies. I, I, I can't even tell you, I think I get 10 or 12 cold calls a day about agency or email people or SMS. And in the beginning, I was so flattered. I was like, wow, they're reaching out to me. Remember, it's just like an email list you know, that goes to everyone. And um, I did because they, they wild promises made. They, they can increase your ROI by whatever and they can, you know, turn things around. And a lot of them actually make promises that if you, you know, if you don't make money, you don't have to pay them. So it's kind of very enticing to go with these, these companies. And I've done that two years in a row in my fall, you know, winter season, and um, both with lackluster results and just finding, once you get into these ad agencies and on their books, that you sort of just a, a pig in the wheel. 
and then they don't really care. You know, they've worked you on, they've signed you up. The person who signed you up was amazing and promised all these things. But then you're sort of in, you know, and then you're basically on um, Asana or some sort of software that you just, you know, they're sending you a thing to, to look at and you can't get them on the phone. And, you know, it's just, um, yeah. So that I would say, I'm, I've now gone towards using individual people to help me, like a person who's an expert in the SMS, who is still outsourced, but it's not an agency, so to speak. Because the other thing with an agency, I got really burnt one year, two years ago. I was with an agency, I won't mention the name, and um, I started working with their email guy in November. Been great, and he seemed fabulous. All of a sudden, he left the company. So all of a sudden, he's gone. They, I don't think, could bring anyone else in, so they kind of palmed Walkie Paws off onto the group. And no one had time for it, and it was just a, it was a disaster. And then they, you know, I was like, well, then can I just get my money back? Can I use someone else? And they're like, no, you signed a contract. I'm like, yeah, I signed a contract, but not, you know, knowing that the person who's going to be helping me was going to be gone and no one would replace him. So there are all these things you don't realize when you, you know, so it's, it sounds, I think from a marketing point of view for people who are new to all of this, it sounds all very exciting and enticing that they can grow your business in such amazing ways. And they're all very um, persuading persuasive I should say but um I've learned that that's just not the way to go I've ne- and I've spoken to a lot of small entrepreneurs who haven't had success you know with any agencies so to speak either so that's one piece of advice um and I guess one other big piece of advice um which was really more in the beginning of doing this is not to listen to friends and family and what they just don't listen to them I had a very good friend who's a door you know she's a very close friend of mine when I was thinking of the idea of walkie paws, I was right in the beginning and she has a little golden doodle, like my dog's. And she sat across the table for me and I showed her the idea. And she's like, oh, I would never put my dog in that. She was like, nip, never. I'm, it's not an idea for me. I could never do it. And, you know, our Lord showed it did really well. And now guess what? She's putting her dog in it. Her dog's, you know, in the winter, knowing her dog's in it. So it's you you've got to really go with your own gut feeling and you can't listen to naysayers and you know that sort of thing i love that so i want to dive into both of those things so i think on on the friends and family one of the interesting interesting things i've noticed is often that person i'll ask them are you an early adopter usually because that tells me so much like when someone's like oh no i'm like a very late follower like late adopter uh, then I'm like, well, then of course you're not going to like this because this is a new idea that no one's ever done before. So yeah, you're going to hate it. Um, but I also think there that's such a great point that a lot of times people can't see your vision. I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is all of a sudden you're in charge of this company and it's like, okay, now we got to follow my vision. How have you learned how to communicate that but also hold true to that? Because I think it can be lonely as a CEO. It can get very like, hey, we're all believing me and some people stop believing you because there's a difficulty or some challenge comes up. What have you learned about that process? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say it's lonely because it actually is lonely. I mean, I thought for many years of bringing someone in to help me and I love that, you know, someone who would be like a partner, skin in the game, you know, but it's finding that partnership is really tricky because, you know, you can make a, a big mistake with that. So I haven't so far brought anyone in but I think it, it it is a great thing if you do have someone in the business with you, especially doing the skill set you're not good at to balance your, you know, to balance um what what your um you know functions are. So I am still doing it all by myself. I've sort of um I don't know, what have I learned? I've learned that 
it's sort of like a gut feel with people and you have to be on the same wavelength as them. And, you know, some people get it and some don't. I work a certain way. I can't explain it. It's, I don't know that it's good or it's bad. I just am what I am. And it be well with some people and some people it just doesn't. It's just not a good fit. So, again, it comes down to finding the people that are a good fit. And I think giving them also responsibility. So I've, I've had to let go and say to people, you know, you do this and try and not look at it too much and just maybe look at it once a month and not get too involved. Because I think I can drive people crazy, like sort of getting in the weeds. So I'm trying to not do that. Um, and just also planning ahead now, looking to plan ahead. I tend to be like a last minute person and you can't do that in e-commerce, especially when you were relying on fourth quarter. So last year I had a lot of goods that literally came in like December 1. They like hit the shelves, you know, not the shelves, but hit my proper five shelves, so to speak. So um, I'm trying to really just get more ahead of the the curve. I love what you said about being yourself. I think, I think that's something that's so tempting. Uh, even And that even goes back to your point about getting the emails from people. You're getting all these like, oh, I'll blow this up and I'll do this and I'll totally change your life. And after a while, you're like, wait, I'm seeing success with the way I'm doing it. Yeah. And it's so easy to get in that like kind of grass is always greener mentality where someone comes in and, and I've made that mistake where our ad buyer at one point was amazing and they were crushing, but then I got enticed by someone saying, oh, there's all these mistakes they're making. And, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let's try this new thing. And it went horribly. Right. Uh, and I went back to that person who I'd been working with and, and it was a good learning experience. Uh, but I love what you said about just being yourself because I think there's constant pressure from potential investors, from employees, partners to be like, why can't you be more like this? Yeah. Um, and it's like, but that's that would also mean getting rid of the things that are great about me. Uh, if Lisa's great at being, you know, this attention to detail visionary, you might lose all that if you try and change everything, all the negatives, so to speak, of right. what comes along with that. Yeah, very true. So as you've talked to people, I mean, I think also going back to what you had said about constantly getting pitched, how do you kind of sort through all that? How do you find even the the individuals? Uh, you know, you said you've kind of shifted more to individuals than the bigger agencies. How have you kind of found those people? Have you searched them out? Because I, I said the other day to one of my partners, I was like, Dude, isn't it funny after four or five years with some of our brands that so much of it is just finding the right group of people to work with. And that's like 90% of it. Yeah. It's a hundred percent truth. You know, from, from what I've, it, I don't really use any, you know, employment, anything, agency, yeah. anything. I really go more by, um, by recommendations from yeah. people. So it's like through people that I've met people and things have sometimes just worked kind of uncannily in a good way. Like for argument's sake, when I started developing the walkie paws, I needed to develop a, a doggy boot. So this booty here had to be um water resistant, water, waterproof. And it was like what what you know fabric is that going to be made of and so on. And I had a a company in the in the fabric district in New York, you know, working on this for me. And they were charging a fortune of money. It was like just racking up to tons and nothing was really getting done. And they had a way, before I developed the rubber, they had a way of doing like a fabric that would be sealed off or some, you know, idea. And they said, and I'd met Rich, who was the guy who, you know, dealt, dealt with the factory. And um, 
they said, Rich, can you know, do that or whatever? And when I got the, the next bill, I said to this woman, Jamie, you know, this is just far too expensive for me. And maybe what I should just do is work directly with Rich. And she looked across the table at me and that gave me this very interesting smile, smirk, I should say. And later on, I found out that Rich would not work with me because I was not working with her. So it's all a big game, right? You've got to be in the game. I'm not paying her the big bucks and he's not, you know, it's like a thing. And because of that, I kind of had to take a step back and figure out what am I doing? How am I developing these boots? And I knew ultimately I'd have to go to China. And through a friend of a friend, I had someone, a, a young lady in China who had just been laid off, who did sourcing and reached out to her. Her name is Kathleen. And had an incredible relationship with her in China. And she helped me develop these boots. And it, it turned out to be far more efficient than what I would have done in, in New York. Much cheaper. And I loved working with, you know, directly with her. So things just sometimes just happen fortuitously. And you just can't even explain it. It's just, you know, I think a lot of it is luck. It's like being in the right place at the right time. And just knowing when to seize the moment as well. Knowing, you know, what to do. So I think what we... What I'm really looking at now with the business is it's dog boot leggings, which solve that problem. But what I'm seeing now is the brand is more than that. It's like a whole dog walking experience. So what this is, um, fashioning fun and functional dog walks. So we're expanding into other products that complement just the leggings. So other products that actually we're looking at launching in December and get them in time that are for adults to wear. So anything that would be involved in a dog walk would be a potential walkie pause product. So I think that's a very exciting direction to go in as well, to expand, because you already have a consumer base and you have a brand name and you get people to your website. And then if you can convert them into more products than just a dog legging, they could get a dog legging and a dog leash and a dog coat and a dog raincoat. And I can't mention what the products are because I haven't launched them yet. But these two really innovative products that humans would actually wear that would make the dog walk much more fun and much more functional, then you know, you realize that's a way to really leverage what you already have because you've got to like build up what you're doing um, in order to grow. And um, another thing that's, you know, come up with dog leggings is they really rely on fit because a dog legging has to fit a dog's paws and they, you know, and although our product's adjustable, you can, there's a little thing here that you can adjust it. I'll move this so you can see, but you can adjust it up and down to make it like this. I'm not doing the best job here, but this could fit a much taller dog, the same pair of leggings. Even within that, we still have five sizes. And um, you, the, the dogs has to you know, fit both the paw and the height measurements. And people don't measure their dogs. So there's a lot of burns for sizing. So the direction I'm moving in, still always going to do the leggings and they do great and people love them. Um, but branching out into some new products that are less sized, um, you know, that have less size requirements, more of like a one size fits all or a, a no sizing product that doesn't rely on sizing, which would be, you know, great. Just to have one thing, like one of them, a little thing we've just launched called a bark pack. It's just like, a, I've got it here, it's just like a tiny little doggy backpack. So yeah, they can attach to a pro and it can attach to your leash and it can attach your dog to a dog's um, harness on his back. And it's literally one thing. It's a black, you know, bark pack and... That is great in terms of skew control and in terms of, you know, returns and people knowing what they get, et cetera. So, yeah. It's funny how, as an entrepreneur of a product company, you start thinking about skew count all the time. <laughs> yeah. Everything you think about, you're like, how many SKUs is that going to be? Because I don't want another 20. 
and and that's I think another to your point earlier, friends and family, friends will throw out these ideas, and you're like, you don't understand. Yes, in theory, it's great to have five sizes and fifty colors. From a skew perspective, that's a nightmare. And so you're constantly trying to balance like what does what do customers want, which is good feedback, but then how do I balance the business side and the business's perspective on that, which is a lot of times what customers want is just impossible. It's like that's not reasonable. But I was also gonna say I I think as a I don't have dogs, as a non kind of dog person, there's nothing worse than when a dog jumps on you and gets like mud and dirt and crap on you. And so that's such a great idea. I mean, it's such like a, well, we all wear socks and shoes so that the same, we don't track mud into our house and our friend's house. Same thing. Well, I think that became even more, you know, with COVID, people were even more focused on all of that. Yeah. In the beginning of COVID, we were all like wiping down our packages. And that's when I, you know, people were even more aware, wow, our dogs are like walking outside, stepping and stuff and walking into our apartments and jumping in our beds and sleeping with us. So there was more of an awareness of that whole thing. And there'd been a lot of articles written about what, you know, what you bring in on the bottom of your shoes, all sorts of yeah. horrible viruses and parasites and dirt and germs. And, and the dogs are bringing in the same thing because they're walking those same streets, you know, especially if it's like the streets of New York and it's basically one big doggy bathroom and they're stepping in that and then they're coming up, you know. And with more and more people having dogs snack, just be part of the family and sleep in their beds, I think that's, you know, that's been another thing. I never really realized that walking paws would be it all year round. Because when I launched it, I launched it for the snow to prevent the issue I had. And then I discovered there were so many other reasons people were buying them. Because our sales, you know, are not as strong in the summer months, but they're still good. And people will buy them for like to protect against hot pavements, obviously for the rain to keep the dog's paws, you know, dry, to keep your house clean. Because people are like, you know, you go out for a walk, even if it's just rained or it's a little dewy and wet outside, you'll come home and the dog's paws have mud. It's, and then there were all the summer allergen um, issues that I, I'd never, I, in fact, I was on a vacation with my dog in Mexico and I, I, I had an experience with, I don't know if you've had an ex experience with foxtails or burrs. Plants that, yeah. I'd never, I, I, customers had said, we're using walkie paws because of the, you know, it's protecting my dog from, I even know what that was. Then on this trip, I, and, um, unfortunately, Stir Fry was not wearing the walkie paws. He went running in a bush, came out, he was covered all over his face, all over his paws, everywhere in these sticky things. And it took me like three hours to cut them out. And they were like painful, some of them. They were like really. So there's all the other why people are, you know, would use the product, which is something you wouldn't really think of until you launch it. And then you need to like just really understand your customers and get the feedback. And it's been really, been really interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think that's such a great point. Like, it, it, it's easy as an entrepreneur to only view things like so often you're a great example of this. Uh, you launch something because you saw pain and you solved it for yourself. And then that shifts. And all of a sudden it's like, there's a lot of other reasons people use this besides the original reason you came up with. And so it can be hard to not get stuck in your own perspective. Um, I think going along with that, one thing I'd love to ask, because you're innovating and coming up with new ideas I think that's another place that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle. They have this initial idea and it almost happened in a way that's hard for them to describe. They kind of, it wasn't something they did uh, consciously. Like, well, I did this and then I did this. It's just, that's how they viewed it. And then sometimes they almost get the entrepreneurial form of kind of writer's block. Like, 
I don't know what to do next. How have you been able to break through that, get past that, or even have you struggled with that yourself? You know, I have to a certain extent, although I'm the opposite of that. I'm like, that's what I love doing. I thrive new ideas. And I'm always, even when I was a little girl, I was thinking of, you know, ideas for new products um, from when I was a kid. So that's really my, my mindset and my bent. So the products I'm launching now for the fall, one of them also came out of a, a particular experience where I needed something and I didn't have it. And um, I can't say what it is, but um, and, and it was just an, and then the minute that idea hit me and I was like, wow, and you could do it another way. I then just went on a mission to get it made and to get it. And now I'm lucky because now I have, you know, the factories in, in place and I have, you know, Shopify set up and everything. So it's kind of easy. It's kind of, you just bring the in. Um, but you do need to sort of, yeah, I mean, you've got to have the strength of your, your courage of your convictions and just move forward with it because a lot of people will give you a lot of advice not to do things. They'll be like, oh, it's going to cost too much money. It's, you know, the market's already saturated, the whatever. So, I mean, I don't know how well all these new products will do. I've launched the Walkie Paws. That was very successful. Um, I now have just launched the Bark Pack and then I have two more products coming in the, in the winter. And we'll see. I mean, I, but I think, I think there's definitely value in trying and not giving up and putting it out there and doing the best you can. And you never know. I mean, you just never know when something's going to really take off. I think the, in the, this day and age, it's, um, it's dependent on a lot of things that are out of your control as well. If somebody goes viral on TikTok or you get to the right influencers or, you know, it's one thing to have a great product. You've just then got to get product of people. And that's getting more and more difficult now because everything's more, you know, much more saturated as expensive to advertise. So that's really the challenge. It's not even the idea that you could have a great idea, but no one would see it versus having average idea but getting it in front of everyone so that for me is the balance is trying to figure out how to get these brand new like exciting products you know to people in the right way in this day and age because it's changing rapidly you know every it's a new thing you know just kind of keeping up with technology and all that all the new things no i think that's such a great point it's really hard because shopify used to be something that uh i was talking to some friends who started an e-com company 15 years ago and they're like our initial website costs 150 grand and they couldn't do a fraction of what Shopify can do now for 30 bucks a month. And so those, those like barriers to entry have come down. It's much easier to get an amazing website you get all this technology, but it also means the barriers of entry came down and it's a lot easier for people to start something up to compete with you. And so you got to move fast and know how to market and do a lot of these things. So, so awesome. So many, uh, great nuggets of wisdom that you've shared with us any call to action uh, obviously people can go check out your website any other things you'd love for the listeners to go do i'm sure i'd love them to look at the website walkpause.com um and your feedback i love feedback from consumers on anything they like or don't like to do with walkie pause because we always love hearing from our customers and thank you so much for having me on the show this was really fun thank you so much for coming it's been so much fun having you and learning from you uh, super excited to check it out and hope the fans and listeners uh, check out your website. It'd be great. Great. Thank you so awesome. much. Awesome. Thanks, Jay.